everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Dialogues on Applied Channel Theory. I'm Jonathan in Beijing, and today I'm talking to Nisa, who's in New York. Hi, Nisa. Hi, John. How are you? Good, good. How are things doing? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, the practice is pretty, it's been much more steady and busy since like January. So that's been nice, like to just kind of get the rhythm back. Oh, that's great. And, that's great to hear. Yeah. And, and how about you? Teach, how are you uh, things are good since uh, the zero COVID policies ended and like things are just picking back up to normal. Life seems to be back to normal. Teaching more. We're doing, been doing a lot of teaching in different parts of uh, China. So like going uh -huh. to Guangzhou, I've been to Guangzhou and Changsha recently to teach. Um, uh -huh. quite a few times so we've been doing yeah lots of teaching in-person classes so like um so it's been nice to be like back to a classroom setting like meeting students actually you know physically palpating uh -huh. channels and so it's nice to have that uh -huh. interaction with students right it, it's quite um invigorating i think it just um, yeah stimulating i think yeah it is and um, you were you were teaching yeah. just in san, Di san diego right and uh, yeah, I was in San Diego two weeks ago um, doing the third um, third weekend of like a four weekend course that started, I believe it started in January and ends in August, I think. Um, and yeah, I agree. It's been really, you know, it was really fun to just be in person with people and palpating and yeah, so that was really great. And, and yeah, you are said you doing, you're doing... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, this, this is... June, right? So during the uh, Duanwujie, which is the Dragon Boat Festival, uh, we're going to Guangzhou mm -hmm. again to teach a few day, a three day course on channel palpation mainly. And then in August mm -hmm. is going to be my first time teaching abroad since 2019. So since the pandemic. So wow. I'll be going to Spain to teach a pretty intense, like seven day class on like uh, applied channel theory, like palpation, point locations, the theory, but also afternoons doing like a lot of clinical, like a student clinic. So we're going to be mm -hmm. treating patients. I'll be guiding along the students while they, they treat different people too. So just kind of trying to make this kind of student clinic kind of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. um, kind of like what we experienced with Dr. Wang. Then going mm -hmm. off to uh, Roman school in Gdansk, Tomo, to uh, teach uh -huh. uh, another point retreat class, which I haven't done since again, 2018 or 19. Uh, so just going over uh -huh. a bunch of points, uh, point locations, and then finally making my way back to uh, Canada to Toronto. So I'll be teaching a class there at the, there's a school there called AIM. So I'll be teaching at the AIM Academy. Uh, again, a channel examination, kind of introductory applied channel theory class. Mm -hmm. But I'll also be able to see mm -hmm. family and friends I haven't seen in four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I'm so glad you get to do that. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty intense uh, trip. We're going to taking the entire family. So Yaya and our, our kids are going with us. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's like John's like world tour, like applied channel theory world tour. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's going to be fun. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, uh -huh. And just, you know, just me seeing like old old friends too, you know, like, you know, seeing Roman and Dubrovna. We haven't seen them for ages. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it'll be lots of fun. And you, you're, you're teaching a class in July? Uh, yeah, so I have a class on, it's like the weekend of July 29th and 30th in New York, you know, after talking to like, you know, like you guys and Yafim, like we realized we haven't taught applied channel theory in New York since like 2016, I think. And so, um, yeah, so we thought it was about time to kind of like get things sort of going on the East Coast and, you know, drum up some interest and then, um, and then maybe eventually even hold that sort of like four series course with like a group of people to kind of 
mentor them in um, in this kind of practice. So, um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, people are interested. There's still some spots. So it'll be like an introductory level, kind of like um, we'll go over the basics of channel physiology um, and then the basics of channel examination and a lot of practicing. Yeah, that's so. great. And like for people yeah. who are unaware, like I've been posting a list of the upcoming classes on Facebook and Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So you can check those out. Like our Facebook page is the Wandries Applied Channel Theory. And on face, uh, Instagram, it's called Applied Channel Theory. So you can look those up mm-hmm. if you want to get more information on how to um, sign up for the classes or the date and want to know more information about the dates, locations, mm-hmm. content of the mm-hmm. courses. It's all on Facebook and Instagram. And I guess we have to update our, our website, which I don't know when. Yes, and actually, I, that's my project. I'm going to do that. Um, I am going to get all the dates up on the website. Okay, week. okay, good. So, okay, well, now that we did some of the sort of like housekeeping stuff, we were talking earlier about an interesting gynecology case that you had recently. Well, yeah, so um, I've been treating this patient. Uh, she started coming like just maybe a few weeks before, like, trying to have that major flare up of uh, COVID cases. So her main complaint at the time is that she's had, um, her cycle has been reduced to like, it's, she said around 20 days, but I don't think that's the most accurate way of saying the, the duration of the cycle. Cause she said she would, uh, the main thing was that she would, prior to having her period, she would have spotting for like about eight days. Then she'd have her normal mm-hmm. period, like normal flow for about five days. And then after the period, mm-hmm. it should have another spotting for another eight days. And then she'd have like maybe 10 days, like 15 days, 10, 15 days later, she'd have her period It'd start over again. Like it just, and it, she'd mm-hmm. been having this kind of uh, issue for two years. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It all started after her, her husband two years ago was diagnosed with cancer. And then he, from the time of diagnosis to the time he passed away, he, it was only, I think within, she said pretty much one month. So like it wow. advanced extremely rapidly and then he passed away. And then since then um, she's had, you know, all this uh, issues with her mm-hmm. um, menstrual cycle. Based on like a channel palpation, things like that. She had more signs of like, I would say cold dampness, mm-hmm. but also in, like a lot of heaviness in the limbs. Generally speaking, she had like cold in the, the stomach too. Like she, I think she had more looser stools, kind of abdominal bloating especially lower mm-hmm. abdominal bloating too and pulse was a bit more weaker with like a bit of like a slippery pulse mm-hmm. tongue was a bit puffier with like teeth marks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she had in terms of channel palpation she had mainly uh spleen channel changes so foot tiny channel mm-hmm. changes uh including uh foot drain liver channel changes so like it's pretty okay. much a spleen liver type type issues which kind of makes sense right because like she had a lot of this um that emotional i think um stress you know during mm-hmm. the time of her husband's uh, hospitalization. So what I did at first was just because she had said it was mainly like, was mainly like this kind of spotting before and after the period. So I just focused on regulating the spleen in the sense that we know the spleen manages a reuptake of blood. So if you strengthen like mm-hmm. spleen chi, that can help to hold in the blood right into the body. First, I just tried doing moxa on spleen one. And I believe I use I don't have the notes with me, so just from basically my general memory of it, I think I use like spleen uh-huh. six and spleen nine as those kinds of points. And then over that course, like she was really interesting because she was very sensitive to the moxibustion. So when while I was mm-hmm. doing the moxa, she could feel it. She could describe very uh, clearly 
how the heat, where the heat was going, like how it's traveling up her leg, then go up to her belly. And then her belly would start mm -hmm. to make noises, like to her lower belly, she could feel like, you know, those chi bubbles, you know, like gurgling. Uh-huh. Like, the gulu-gulu. Yeah, the gulu-gulu. So then after like a, a course of doing this for about, uh, like she was coming about once a week. So after about a month, I think of doing this, then she, she report that, you know, like that feeling of bloating had decreased, like that was heaviness in the limbs mm -hmm. had decreased. And she also, her period had like the spotting end of her period, I think, started to decrease. So it started to disappear. Mm -hmm. So then what mm -hmm. she did have at the end, after the spotting at the end of the period de pretty much disappeared after about maybe four to six weeks of doing this. Mm -hmm. And then like, mm -hmm. but she would still have the spotting before the period. So then what I did at the end was because over time, just like just through palpation, including like uh, abdominal palpation, just discovering, you know, like the temperature also of like the abdominal region. And she had a lot of mm -hmm. cold too, right? In her epigastric region, also the lower belly area. So then I just switched to just doing uh, main points where, uh, um, as the bloating had decreased, just kind of really warming the the uterus, right? Because I, you know, she had probably cold in the uterus, right? So just using like moxa and rin four, spleen six, mm -hmm. and then uh, just needling spleen six and needling liver three. Those were the main points I used for her. And she would, the way she described the heat was really interesting. She felt really relaxing. She could feel the heat really going through the entire pelvic cavity. And uh, the great thing is like when you're doing moxa, right? Because I do the stick moxa, I sit beside them, I hold the moxa over the point. So you, we can sometimes talk, right, and learn more about the patient's condition. So it turns out, mm -hmm. you know, like she, for a long time, she even prior to her husband's diagnosis, she, she never really took much care about her, her body. Like in terms of diet, she'd just mm -hmm. eat whatever she wanted to eat. She'd eat cold stuff whenever she wanted to eat cold stuff. She would, you know, like eat ice cream and cold this, cold that, mm -hmm. cold drinks. And um, mm -hmm. she always had the AC on in her room at like 16 degrees Celsius throughout the summer. Mm -hmm. So I think she had a lot of cold mm -hmm. trapped in her body too. Over our, the course of our discussions, you know, she switched her diet too. So every morning she started eating like the kanji. She's like, oh no, uh -huh. kanji. And I was like, I think you should eat kanji every morning. She's like, no, kanji, I hate kanji. And then like, she's like, my mom always told me to eat kanji in the mornings. I hate that. But then she switched, yeah. she actually listened to me, right? And then she actually uh, yeah, yeah. started drinking the kanji every morning. Then after two weeks, she's like, you know what? This is really nice. It tastes so good. And she's like, my belly, uh -huh. it feels good on the belly. And and then she started eating, like, even up until now, she's still doing the kanji every morning. She avoids all cold stuff. And her, her, her body feels warmer. Her belly feels better. It's not as cold. It's not as bloated. Um, mm -hmm. She's even lost weight, too, she said, because of, like, I think because you warmed up the belly, right? Like the stomach, it's uh -huh. better digestion, less cold there. Anyway, for, after doing the moxa for, again, the, uh, Rin4 about, because, you know, we, we can only judge the progress of the treatment by the, each time she has her period, right? So, but after doing the moxa for probably about four times, so once per week, that spotting has pretty much has disappeared. So now she has a regular period now without Great. the spotting. So, like, she's really happy about that. I was, uh -huh. I was quite, very, I was obviously very happy too. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, like, I remember at the beginning, this is something we we're kind of chatting beforehand, right? So we sometimes, especially in China, you, if you have Chinese patients, a portion of them will always ask if, if I could prescribe them herbs, right? Because so, I think in China, there's a lot more reverence mm -hmm. for uh, Chinese herbs for treatments for mm -hmm. any mm -hmm. condition, right? So, so she was asking at the beginning of the treatments, like last year, she's like, oh, can I, should I take some herbs? I was like, let's just try the acupuncture first and then see if, and if, but if you require herbs, I can prescribe some later. And she actually, you know, mm -hmm. has stuck with the treatments and, you know, it's been effective without use of any Chinese herbs. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, you know, we were chatting before we started recording about that because, you know, the power of 
just acupuncture on its own can be really underestimated and um and you know i think especially in um gynecology and uh like menstrual health like you know acupuncture can do so much to regulate the cycle you know minimize symptoms and yeah so it's really you know i do the same thing as you know what you mentioned and what dr wong used to do which is like let's just try the acupuncture first and see where we get to and you know quite often i just never have to use herbs and you know recently i've had a couple fertility cases or just like dysmenorrhea or yeah, I'm, I'm not using herbs with anybody. And it's just really, you know, I, I, I often think of Dr. Wong, like sometimes even he would be just like pleasantly surprised at how well acupuncture worked, you know? And like, you get these results, right? Like I'm sure when this patient came to you and said like, oh, now my cycle is so much more regular. It's kind of like, wow. Like, you know, and I just remember like Dr. Wong used to just like stop and just be like, gosh, how did the ancient Chinese figure this out? You know, like just right, like right. acupuncture is so great. Anyway, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. But, you know, yeah. it does make me just so proud of acupuncture as mm -hmm. its own medicine. And um, and I think not only in China, you know, I think in the U.S. too, you know, herbs sort of take a, a more, more revered, revered status, yeah. status, you know, and so... Um, whenever I get the chance to sort of just like, you know, give acupuncture its props, like, you know, I think it, it deserves it. So is it a revered um, status amongst just practitioners or is it more because like the general populace, I think, and at least from my feelings outside of China, when they think about Chinese medicine, the first thing they think about is probably acupuncture, right? Is that the case or? Or is oh, it yeah, different that makes, now in the yeah, States? Yeah, that's true. Like maybe it's more like the practitioners, I think, you know, the way um, the way the schools approach acupuncture versus herbs is very much, there's a feeling from the school that like herbs is the real medicine and then acupuncture, you know, like uh, we don't know what it, what's really happening, but, you know, just memorize all these point prescriptions and, you know, just see how far that takes you. Yeah. So anyways, like I always love hearing cases where, you know, like you achieved, you know, like the, just like there's so much change that can happen just with acupuncture and moxibustion. It's really yeah. powerful. And you can see like quite like even like during the course of the treatments, like after each treatment or during the treatments, you could sh see like how she was like how much she was benefiting from it. Like, you know, like her mm -hmm. body was feeling warmer, right? Like her channels were feeling more open, right? Like her energy had improved, mm -hmm. she had less heaviness in her body. So and then once I started seeing those signs, right, like even though she had her period yet, you could kind of assume that things were going to get better, but you wouldn't know until she that's actually had right. her period. That's right? right. That's right. That's right. And that's where, you know, the palpation is so helpful, right? Because like, you know, often with, you know, menstrual stuff, we don't, yeah, we don't get to see what's happening until like a couple more weeks out. But yeah, the changes in like the pulse changes in the channels, like, you know, it, you get those subtle signs that like we're shifting something. I also wanted to touch on, you know, like, I love that you like worked on nutrition with her, you know, in terms of like, you know, really focusing on, right, the building blocks of healthy blood, because I think that's another thing, like, sometimes patients are just like, I just want to eat whatever I want. And it's like, you know, we're limited to what we can do, especially when it's like blood related, if they're eating cold foods and all that. So I think some patients are very receptive to it, but some people I, I tell them, but then they probably, I don't think they listen to me. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's nice of when course. you have patients who like actually like uh, listen to your advice, but some people are just like, yeah, oh, okay. I know some people. 
but I love, you know, your patient who like, you know, like was willing to listen and then was like, oh yeah, I actually do feel better eating kanji. You know, like there's yeah, yeah. a, like I had one patient who, you know, it was like really pretty severe, like blood deficiency. And so sometimes I tell people to eat liver, you know, to help really kind of like build up their, um, their reserves. And usually people will do it in like capsules so they don't have to taste it or eat it. Um, but this one patient, she was pretty reluctant, but then once she started taking the capsules, like she felt so good, like her energy, you know, she just finally had some blood. And now that she had blood, there was more chi. And so she felt so good that she started like going to the farmer's market every week to buy actual liver. And then she oh, would just awesome. like eat piles of it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she learned herself, you know, she would like then start buying it like just before her period and like have little bits of it um, just to right like build up the reserves to prepare for the period and nutrition that's is also amazing. really that's amazing. powerful too yeah yeah definitely yeah oh you were mentioning earlier that you have uh a interesting infertility cases recently yeah it's funny how things just come in waves so um recently had you know like maybe half a dozen people who are trying to get pregnant and and yeah, it's just so interesting, right? It's all different sort of diagnoses, like, you know, some liver, kidney, yin deficiency, some liver constraint with, you know, blood stasis. And yeah, I only brought it up because a colleague of mine was just, you know, we were chatting in the office and, you know, two of the patients did get pregnant within the last like three months. And she was like, oh, so great that, you know, what, so what herbs did you do? And, you know, I hadn't done any herbs with them it was only acupuncture and so yeah I mean your case just made me think of that you know that again like we can really affect the cycle so profoundly just with yeah without herbs can, can you talk about one of the infertility cases if you have if you're yeah um I mean one case I had was someone who had been trying for over a year about a year ago there was, there was a miscarriage. Um, and then since the miscarriage, there was a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. So her constitution, like she's very, very thin. She has a very sort of intense, high power job. Her pulse was like very thin, but very tight. Her tongue was like a really pretty, like intense red and very constricted, you know, when it's like, it was tight, like it, the tongue was squeezed and very pointy. And then on palpation, you know, it was kind of across the board. All her channels felt like the riverbeds were dry. You know, that's how I usually describe it. You know, there's just no fluids, no blood in the channels, you know, very kind of almost like where the fascia of the channels is like stuck together. Really, really apparently in the lung channel close to the wrist, like by lung seven. And then her spleen three to spleen four was completely kind of like a dry riverbed. And, you know, she was someone who like didn't really eat much and, you know, tended to have like salads. And so we had the whole talk about, you know, building up her reserves and kind of like creating more substance and yin and blood in her body. So, yeah, and she was really, you know, you know, dealing with infertility is like such a stressful, just like journey. I mean, that word is so overused, but it's really a, a difficult sort of process to keep 
getting your hopes up and being cautiously optimistic. It's exhausting. Um, so she was really willing to kind of like, kind of take some of my advice. And so, yeah, really changed up how she ate, you know, was making sure she had breakfast, was making sure she had some protein throughout the day, was willing to take the liver. Um, and, you know, very pretty quickly, like her pulse changed a little bit, like at first, like softened a bit, it was still kind of thin, but softened a little, her tongue was less red, it was also like less like tight. The first visit was, I think, just 10 days before her cycle. And that cycle ended up being quite uncomfortable for her very heavy, very crampy. So I feel like that had to work itself out of her system and then the following um two cycles were much smoother and you know she the, there was such a very severe kind of like yin blood deficiency that would then flare into fires you know so like like night sweats and um rage and irritability like very sort of volatile and so her mood stabilized over the several cycles fingers crossed like i think we're reaching about 10 weeks now so you know still early but so within i think that was within three cycles what were the sorry yeah, what were the main yeah. channels that you were regulating for this patient it was mainly the latrine or is it oh, oh, oh so for her you know like all the this is one of those confusing cases too right because all her channels were so sort of like depleted and dry but the main ones that i sort of focused on were tie-in and sway-in so part of the tie-in was sort of like, we really needed to kind of warm it up and wake it up so that it could make better blood. And then like the Zwei-in was depleted, but I think it was like the, the tie-in wasn't making anything to fill up the Zwei-in. So I was kind of doing both. So the, the treatment was lung seven, spleen four. So the Ren and the Chongbai. And then with liver three, she was pretty needle sensitive. So like sometimes, you know, so I, that was the main sort of trio. Sometimes if she was feeling up for it, I could sneak in like a spleen six, you know, kind of just to assist. But yeah, the main sort of thing was lung seven, spleen four, liver three. Sometimes when she, the, the fire was really raging, um, I would switch it to liver two kind of just clear some heat but, so her uh, fire was more like uh like it was not it hadn't entered into like the shaoyang or anything it was more like dream type ministerial fire rising yeah upwards. yeah exactly exactly so yeah i don't know we'll see that was like an interesting one and then did you do um, any like abdominal points i didn't with her because one it was like the needle sensitivity i was really just trying to keep it as kind of like easy and so yeah, with her, no abdominal points. Sorry, was she coming like once a week? Yeah, so as much as she could, because she, she travels for work, like it was weekly. It was weekly for the first month and then she was traveling. So then I try to get people in like just before ovulation and then just before the cycle starts or, you know. And then do yeah, you treat, you, are you treating, sorry, you sorry, sorry, one last question. <laughs> we have so many questions. Yeah, do you treat her during this, while she's, during the pregnancy too, just to help to stabilize the fetus or? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, sort of like, kind of like, so with her, I'm still working on sort of the tie-in, but then I switched the points to lung nine, spleen three, because they're the source points and sort of like more lifting. Um, and then I also added kidney three for sort of like, you know, like growth and, you know, kind of like all the yang chi 
Oh, that's great. Um, that's great. Yeah, I'm curious. How do you are you seeing any people for fertility issues? Yeah, I do have some patients who come in for fertility issues. So there's one patient who had. She was really good because she was coming for regular treatments even before she uh, had decided on having children. So she, she was actually one of my more long-standing patients here for about like. She's. I think I treated for almost seven years here in, in Beijing, mm, mm-hmm. but she was coming, she was really regular coming like at least every week, once a week, sometimes like every two weeks or so, but she was coming very regular. So I think it was really good to just kind of maintain that like harmony in her body. So when she mm-hmm. would start to decide to have, trying to have children, she, she got pregnant really quickly. Like, I think it was after mm-hmm. just trying once or twice, like they, she, they got, they got pregnant. And I thought I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it might have been helped the fact that, you know, we were doing these regular acupuncture treatments because her cycle is quite regular. Mm-hmm. She didn't have many complications. But the main issue is that she, this patient, she had, I, met, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the previous podcast, but she had mentioned that she had, she started to have, I think it was spotting. Yeah, she started to have spotting before her period. I don't think we had known that she was pregnant yet, but that she had started to have some spotting. And then she, she was like, this is abnormal because she would never have spotting before. She never had spotting. I think I'll remember she just asked me, like, she was like, oh, should I just get this checked? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, of course, got it checked, you know, because um, just in case, because like she, she I said known her for a long time, and I knew that she never had that um, occurrence before either. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, spotting, spleen one. But then like she went and got a, a, that week, she got checked, and it turns out she had an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. So like the, fe- the fetus was, gr- the, um, was growing mm-hmm. in the uh, fallopian tubes, I think it was the, sl- mm-hmm. the left side. So it was a good mm-hmm. thing that we discovered that that um, yeah we had that right. So like she, uh, I think pretty much within a, a week, a few days of that diagnosis, she, they did surgery to remove it. Right. So they. Mm-hmm. So then, what I did for that patient after that, I think we spent about six months just to help her body recover. She was very good too. She was mm-hmm. very good at like listening to her advice, and because some I know I have some patients where they might have a miscarriage or like even for like IVF treatments, maybe it doesn't work. The first time for them mm-hmm. so then usually i just say you should probably spend you know give your body time to recover right like at least i think six months mm-hmm. would be ideal uh duration but i think sometimes like with the western medical doctors they're just like no, no we'll just try next time you know they don't give the body person body yeah. time to recover right no, but that's no, hard to like some people it's hard to have that dialogue with them because i think they're when you get into that process you it's they get so much information right so it's really hard to for them mm-hmm. to decide who to listen to right so but this patient she was yeah. like very she we'd known each other for a long time so she trusted me so i was like yeah let's just give your body six months we'll work on like kind of recovering your body strengthening your body um mm-hmm. so then so over that six months period i was doing like you know acupuncture mainly regulating the tie-in like also using like just moxa and reinforce like reinforce spleen six because i think she had a lot of, like mm-hmm. One was like the blood deficiency after that surgery, but then also mm-hmm. blood and chi deficiency, right? So strengthening the body, warming it up. So just doing moxa and rin four and needling spleen six was probably the main points I used for her. And then mm-hmm. once they started trying again, she got pregnant uh, pretty quickly and then uh, gave birth to a, a child. It was, it was, so mm-hmm. I, that's one, one case. I wasn't an infertility case, sorry, but it was, I thought it was just an interesting case. Mm-hmm. That I was like, where I think it was a good reminder for me too, is that sometimes in certain cases where there's abnormal vaginal bleeding probably should get the patient mm-hmm. to get that check just in case yeah because um, if i if i yeah, didn't absolutely. do yeah. ask her to do that and i was just like based it on like just like tcm diagnosis oh spotting let's do moxin spleen one that could have 
it might have helped mm -hmm. by then, <laughs> like stopping the spotting, but it wouldn't have gotten rid of that pregnancy, like ectopic yeah, no. pregnancy, and that could have led to her death. So that's, that's pretty frightening, yeah. actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, well, that is the benefit of also having, you know, like with our long-term patients, like really kind of like understanding the sort of like rhythms and cycles so that then, you know, I think both the patient and the practitioner can like notice these like um, changes in the pattern, right? That's sort of like what we're always looking for is like, where is the pattern kind of off off balance, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, is there anything else on your mind? Mm, uh, not really. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I think the past week is, I think every time we talk, it's like our, my kids have been sick. I think the one time we talked, I think, was it just oh. after COVID? Was that it? Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, the past few weeks, like Susu, she had like stomach pain and then she had, she vomited once. Oh. And then, then a week later, Shen Shen, our son, like he's younger, he, he, um, he got sick now, like the past week. So he started vomiting and, uh, oh, diarrhea. No. Yeah, when you have sick kids, it gets kind of, you know, you're, you're like, so focused on helping them get better right so of course yeah finally he's getting better and in the past day or two so it's uh i probably have to give him some acupuncture later how does he tolerate it he's okay he's he's uh right now he'll cry but then he he stops crying quite quick he puts up with it um do you do you do dr wong's trick where you have him like yell no i, I don't like or like no i haven't done that yet no yeah that's fine uh, yeah, sometimes it'd be like uh, yeah, uh -huh. sometimes they would do like doctor will be like, oh, there's a little insect on, or a little bug on your 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 skin. I'm getting that bug out of your body, I and mean, it's I haven't done that with uh, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, as usual, a rambling but very enjoyable conversation about <laughs> channel theory. So uh, yeah, so for people who are interested, again, like we there's those lists of courses. If you're interested in taking these classes on applied channel theory, like we have different levels, right? Some from introductory classes onto the mm -hmm. beginning, like the basics of palpation, right? Or introduction to channel physiology and then uh, more advanced classes right that people can take so mm -hmm. if you know if people are interested because we keep on talking about it but i think the, one of the like most important aspects of this like dr Ron calls, calls it like the room room right like the mm. to get mm -hmm. your foot into the door right that that first step is the palpation right so to really understand mm -hmm. where the channels are how, how they should feel how, yeah how to locate them so that, that was that's the first step so it if you are really mm -hmm. wanting to delve deeper into applied channel theory, if you want to do that, we could, you could take consider taking one of our palpation classes, and it might help yeah. you understand the system better. Yeah, yeah, that is the really fun part about being able to do in-person classes because mm -hmm. you know all the things you discover once you start palpating and putting your hands on the channels. It's um, yeah, it's really exciting. Okay, so uh, all right, John, good to talk to you. Yes, yeah, good chatting.